matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we want RUF to feel welcoming to you. My name is Matt. I'm the RUF campus minister here at Wofford, and it's just, again, so good to be in person with y'all. Um, we're going to walk through Psalm 128. We've been in a series called Psalms, or Songs for the Road, and we've been exploring an assortment of psalms called the Songs, or the Psalms of Ascent, and it's a group of psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, and they were Israel's hymn book. They were a group, a, kind of a, a smaller genre with went within 150 songs. And they would gather together, and they would go hike up to Jerusalem together, and they would sing these songs. Psalm 128 is one of the songs that they sang. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight, that Psalm 128 is relentlessly focused on, is this word that is so overly used. And if I'm honest with you, confession moment, I hate this word when it comes up because it's so overly used. And the word is this, blessed. Blessed, okay? Like a lot of churchy words, uh, we need to dust them off to restore their biblical meaning because they can have all kinds of different uh, meanings. We use them in all kinds of different ways. We can use the word blessed uh, in so many ways. We could say, I'm so blessed to have this job. And I mean that. We're so blessed to have this worship space. I mean that as well. Hashtag blessed. Blessed. We can refer to blessing, experience blessing, sort of this experience of being lucky. So this is when you're going to campus life and you're overwhelmed by how there's no parking. And you find an empty parking spot in a full lot. That was every Tuesday night for a large group for me. Blessed. Hashtag blessed when I find the spot. Okay? Blessed, according to the scriptures, it, it is a churchy word because it's all over the scriptures. Blessed is all over the scriptures. And here is what it means to be blessed according to Christianity. Here's, here it is. This is my definition. I think it's okay. The blessed life is one of fullness, abundance, and spiritual satisfaction. To be blessed means you're living a life of fullness, where you don't lack abundance rather than scarcity, and then spiritual satisfaction that transcends circumstances. So that's blessing. That's blessed. And it's also, it's, it's actually synonymous with happiness. Uh, a lot of translations will actually, the beginning of the Psalms, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who is like a tree planted by streams of water. Our Psalm tonight begins with blessed. A lot of translations will translate that Hebrew word for happy, happiness. Happiness in the scriptures is this experience of deep soul satisfaction that transcends your circumstances. It's not scarcity, it's abundance. That's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to read the passage and we're going to walk through it. This is God's word, friends. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to us because he loves us, that we might find life in him. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man uh, be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. 
May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let me pray and we'll walk through it. Lord, we do give thanks for your word. It's living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. You are not silent. You've spoken in love. I do ask that we would hear you and we would trust you and that we would find Jesus to be beautiful and that we would feel more refreshed once we leave in Christ's name. Amen. Game plan is this. Two points, the way of blessing and the gifts of blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Let's do the first one, the way of blessing. Very particular meaning of blessing, again, in in the Christian scriptures, but even in our psalm. What does it mean when you are truly happy and satisfied? That's the Psalm 128 question. And we see two things. The first thing is this. To be blessed, the way of blessing involves the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. In in verse 1 and in verse 4, remember, repetition is very important in um, in any literature and certainly in the Psalms where it's full of poetry. David and the psalmist love repetition. And he says, bless several times and then fear of the Lord in verses 1 and 4. Again, another churchy phrase, though. Fear of the Lord. What does that mean? You've probably heard that. A lot of us get stuck on the word in there in the phrase fear. Do I want to be scared of God? Right? Have you thought this before? Fearing the Lord, here's what it means. Because it involves in being blessed and being soul satisfied. Acknowledging God's power and presence during a state of need. That's what I would say fear of the Lord is. It's acknowledging and encountering God's power and presence while you are in a state of need. You cannot fear the Lord in abstract. You have to acknowledge his presence. You encounter him. It's an encounter with him who is living and powerful. My friend Mike Ford puts it this way in describing the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a combination. This is really helpful. The fear of the Lord is a combination of two things. Respecting someone's power and might, but acknowledging that it's a power and strength that is actually used for you and your good. And then he elaborates. He goes on. He says, it's like when a kid sees their dad's strength for the first time. They stand back in awe because before their dad was just a fun guy who played with them. He was just the gentle dad with them. But then they see him, them doing something special and powerful, and it fills them with fear, but a fear and an awe that recognizes that it's a power and authority that's for my good, because he's my father. That's fear of the Lord. I remember experiencing this, something like this way back in the day. My brother and, all, my brother and I were at an Atlanta Hawks game, and they were playing the L.A. Lakers, and this was one of the Shaq and Kobe championship seasons. It was really fun. And we're walking uh, through the arena, and we find the concession stand, but we were distracted by the sign. Here's what the sign said. Dominique Wilkins signing autographs upstairs follow the signs. Dominique Wilkins, if you didn't know, was this Atlanta Hawks legend. He, was, he played in the 80s and 90s, and he was known as, like, maybe the most popular and explosive in-game dunker. He was really, if you're an NBA guy, listen, Dominique Wilkins was Vince Carter before Vince Carter. If that clicks with you, we're, you know, but if it doesn't, we can talk later, okay? I would love to talk about it, actually. Uh, Maybe too much. But Dominique Wilkins is there, and my brother loved him, and I loved him as well. And so we finally get to the, we actually last in line. We're the last people to meet him. 
you know, he's like 6'8", still in great shape, looked like he could play, and we go up and we meet him, and we were in awe, especially my brother, because he actually watched him live. And here's the deal, though. We were in awe of him, and we were nervous, and I was taking all my cues from my brother. But the thing is, we had no personal and relational connection to this player. We didn't know him. He didn't know us. It was just awe. It was just nerves. It was unlike this other experience my brother and I had in 2015 when we met our hero, Eugene Peterson, who's this um, pastor and theologian. And we were at his house. We went to Flathead Lake, and, which is about 30 minutes away from Glacier National Park, where Eugene Peterson retired. And we get invited into his house. We spent like a half a day with him on a Saturday. And I'm extremely nervous. Again, it reminded me of meeting Dominique Wilkins, except um, way different. This is my second year of seminary. And we got out of the car. I'm taking all my cues from Josh again. I follow him. Peterson opens the door. And he introduces us to his son and his grandchildren and his wife, who's from Alabama, who loved that we were from Alabama made us cookies, and they offer us tea and coffee, and it's so warm, so inviting. We get up into his study, Peterson's study, and he sits down with us, and this is like our, like, this is like theological Michael Jordan to us, theological LeBron James to us, and we sit down, and I'm like, I don't even know how to talk, and he starts asking us questions about our life. He starts asking us questions about our life and ministry. He starts asking questions about our childhood as brothers. He starts asking really intimate and personal questions about our common and mutual life in Jesus. And we were changed by this encounter, and I'll never forget it. And here's what struck me as I've, I'm more removed from that and for our purposes of fear of the Lord. I had the same experience of awe, and I was in the presence of someone who was powerful to me, who could move anything with words and make magical things happen to me with his words and his skill with words. And it influenced me a lot. Here was the difference. There was the relational connection that I experienced from him. He was using his power and his authority and his wisdom to care for us with his words. It was power used for my good. And that's what was changing about it. The fear of the Lord is realizing you have encountered up close and personal, a living God who created the world with his breath. And while recognizing that God has power and strength and all of these attributes that we don't even understand and that will always be mysterious to the church, he actually uses his attributes for your good, for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your guidance, for your protection. So this fear is a combination of awe and recognizing his character. You're kind of feeling like you need to tiptoe, but then it's a deep breath when you're realizing the characteristics of this authority figure that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's fear of the Lord, okay? And when you encounter him in this way, you lose your breath. Eugene Peterson describes this experience this way in his own words. Might as well quote him. Like lost children happening on a clearing in the woods, finding elves and fairies singing and dancing in secret in a circle, around prancing, two, prancing around a two-foot horn uh, unicorn. We stop. 
we're awed in silence to accommodate ourselves to this wonderful but unguessed at surprise of revelation. The moment we find ourselves unexpectedly in the presence of the sacred, our first response is to stop in silence. We can't do anything. We say nothing. We fear to trespass inadvertently. We're, unafraid, we're afraid to say something inappropriate. We're plunged into mystery and we become still. We fall silent. All of our senses are alert. This is fear of the Lord. So the blessed life, hashtag blessed for the psalmist for us, involves fear of the Lord. It also involves this, the ways of the Lord, walking in the ways of the Lord. So in verse 1, the psalmist, he's relentless about this. You're blessed not when you have this fear of the Lord experience, but you do something about it. Your feet need to move. Your heart needs to be engaged. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read, we talk about this a lot in RUF. We don't start with Genesis 3 when the fall comes into the picture. What happened in Genesis 1 and 2? Lots of good stuff. Lots of beautiful stuff. We're made in God's image, and we're to follow in God's ways. And when we go in out, go our own way, we walk against the grain of creation. And so something feels off. When we go on our own way, something is off. And so when a coach draws up a play during halftime of whatever sport came to your mind, and <clears throat> the play begins and that one player decides to go their own way for whatever reason, things fall apart. They just do. When you put an address in your GPS on your phone and you decide to go on your own way, or you get distracted, you're texting. No, you probably don't do that because you're good folks. You don't text and drive. You're on your Spotify account or whatever. You get distracted, and you go on your own way. In more time, it gets clumsy really fast. Profanity start. you know, who knows what will happen. You get lost. When we go on our own way, we get lost. We're going against the grain of how God has made the world and made us as his image bearers. And if you are here tonight, I don't know where everyone here is spiritually, but I'll say this. I want to speak to Christians for a second. Like you say you are a Christian trying to follow Jesus at Wofford. Let me say this to you. If you are in sin patterns that are going against the grain of how God has made you, and you are decidedly doing that, how is that going for you? How are they forming and shaping you? Because your habits will change you. I'm just, I'm suge- I want to suggest that question to you. How is that going? If you aren't a Christian, I would love to invite you to get caught up in the ways of Jesus. Try it on for a while and see if you don't go with the grain of how you were made. See how it feels. Do it for a month or two. See how it feels. And you'll go with the grain of how you were made. Love to meet with you and talk to you about that and report back. It'll be really hard. But you'll go with the grain and there will be an ease and a lightness to your living. That's the ways of the Lord. So the way of blessing means we fear him and and we encounter him, his presence. We know that he's wielding his power and authority for our good. But then our feet have to move. We have to do something. We follow him. It does make me think of this, um, this scene. You know, the gospel writer Matthew, his name was Levi before his name was changed to Matthew. And anytime someone's name changes in the Bible, you need to perk up about that because they probably had some sort of interaction with Jesus and their name had to change. Saul changed to Paul. Silas, no, it was Levi became Matthew. Here's what happened to Levi. Jesus 
sees this tax collector at a tax booth. He gets off a boat. He gets done fishing or something, whatever Jesus was doing with his, with his bros. And he goes up to this guy, tax collector, which was a scoundrel and a mobster. He goes up to him and he says, two th- he says one thing to Levi, follow me. He turns around and leaves. That's what Jesus does. Simple interaction. Here's what the text says in, in Luke. It's recorded in all the gospels except for Matthew. Here's what the text says. And leaving everything, Levi followed Jesus. And leaving everything, Levi followed Jesus. And then before you know it, his name has changed. He encountered the living God in the flesh, and his feet had to move. Okay? Let's go to the gift of blessing now, point two. The gifts of blessing. Psalm 128 shows us the good life. We might just call the blessed life, according to Christianity, the good life, according to the New Testament. Psalm 128 is painting a picture of us, for the, of that life for us. It's a life of fullness, a life of abundance, not scarcity, satisfaction rather than boredom, and fruitfulness. And the psalmist goes on to illustrate this in poetic ways. He wants to capture our imagination, just like good, good poets do in the Psalms, of illustrating how full and satisfying this life is. If you look in verse 2, he's He's painting the picture of someone enjoying the fruit of their labor. In verse 3, someone enjoying the, fruit, the fruits of their household. And, uh, and also in verse 5, living in a thriving city. Okay, Fruits of your labor, fruits of your household, and an abundant thriving city. In other words, Psalm 128 is trying to capture our hearts and imaginations to get caught up in the good life on the road with God. It's abundant life, and it's filled up to the brim with, with grace. Okay, now you might have pushback like I did the first few times. Just gonna, we're going to get honest about this. You might have thought something like this when you read it like I did. This psalm seems to argue that the Lord, when you fear Him and walk in His ways and you do what God says, then God will give you a spouse and children and your cities will flourish, right? It's what it kind of seems when you read it on first glance. No, that's not true. That's not true. Not necessarily. What about Christians who follow Jesus and never marry or have children? Who struggle with infertility and they have to adopt or maybe they don't end up having children at all. And Christians who have lived in tumultuous times and cities suffering great pain, are they not blessed? Are there, is their life not full? What about Christians who experience crippling anxiety and depression that can't shake it? Are they not blessed? What about life in a pandemic? Are we not blessed? Those are like appropriate questions. I want to say this, though. This is one of those times where when we zoom in on NRUF at large group, we go through books of the Bible oftentimes, and we want to sink our teeth in to the text at hand. And not rather than being exhaustive theologically on a topic to say, here's what Christianity and all of the scriptures has to say about this topic. So I don't even want to try to do that. I just want to name that, okay? But I do want to say two things because I think that's an appropriate question. What about the reality of suffering in the Christian life? Is this some sort of like morality living that if you live life with this genie, he'll grant your every wish, okay? Those are legitimate questions. I want to say two things. The first is this. The Bible is brutally honest about human suffering. The Bible is brutally honest. It looks it right in the face about 
human suffering. The Psalms, just staying there, 150 poems. The biggest genre of Psalms, what is it? Y'all know this, lament. It's the lament Psalms. It's when the psalmists are looking around at their circumstances and life is really difficult and they're not ignoring it. They're not pretending like things are good and they're complaining to God about it. That's just the Psalms alone. And then you have the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament letters. You know where he wrote a lot of those letters? Behind bars in prison. Was Paul not blessed? Peter, another writer of the New Testament, was crucified upside down for his faith. And then we have Jesus. Do I even need to say anything about him? Spitting on him, mocking him, crucified, died like an animal. Was Jesus not blessed? The Bible is brutally honest about suffering. It doesn't ignore it. We're going to look at it right in the face. And a Christianity that will not look at human suffering in an honest way is not worth your time. Let's go to the second thing, though. We also live in the already and the not yet. Y'all need to hang in here with me on this. Some of y'all have heard this, but not everybody's heard this. The already and the not yet. <clears throat> this means <clears throat> we live in a life full of tension. The, the tension of the already and the not yet. Here's what I mean. On the one hand, Christ already has defeated death. Easter was a historical event. Very, very hard to believe scientifically, but Jesus woke up and walked up out of a graveyard. So our like Easter Sunday is not about Easter egg hunts. It's a historical event, and our life depends on it. And so on the one hand, Jesus defeated death once and for all. He said it's finished. That's true already. And yet people die every day. Okay, he's defeated death, but people are dying every day. Already in the not yet. In Jesus, you're already forgiven. If you have a speck of faith, you're already cleansed. It's already finished. And yet what happens? What are you seeing in RUF a lot? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. How honest is that song? Not like occasionally wander away from our good shepherd, like daily. Like I can't even tell you how many times today that I want to do that and have. He died for my sins. It doesn't define me anymore, but oh my goodness, have, Lord, have mercy on me. I can't like contain my sinful heart. Read, read Romans 7, Paul dealing with his own sin, if you want an illustration of that in his own life. Already not yet tensions, okay? The Bible's full of tensions, and when we try to eliminate tensions, we're being too simplistic about the faith. Okay, so it's abundantly and brutally honest about human suffering. This psalm is not doing some sort of like prosperity gospel stuff. And then two, we live in this tension of the already and the not yet of Jesus and the gospel. Already he's done these things, and yet we live in a fallen world. And we're not going to try to like make that easier. Y'all know what I mean by that, like theologically and logically easier. We're going to embrace suffering as normative as the Christian life, trusting that Jesus has defeated it. Okay, <clears throat> I do want to say this though. And I think this is what, I hope this is clear. In the already and the not yet, here's what you can have confidence in. And I think the psalm is getting at this, that even in, um, even in suffering in Jesus, you are safe. This transcends your circumstances. In Jesus, even when you have no physical possessions, you are rich. That's why the Apostle Paul behind bars is singing hymns. He sang hymns behind bars. How can he do that? He has a full life abundant in Jesus. Even on your deathbed, as you close your eyes, 
and you die, you have life. That's true. This abundant life transcends your circumstances and it does not depend on your circumstances. And that's why Paul in Romans 8 can say things like this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. All these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or present or things to come nor powers or height or depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Our circumstances can't touch you if you have a speck of faith in Jesus. He has owned you for himself. He has used his power to claim you, and no one can snatch you out of his hand. That is the abundant life given to you in Jesus, and you have it. That's what's going on. So I want to say this. As you read this psalm, you can, again, think, if I follow Jesus, won't I get what I want? Won't I get that internship this summer? Won't I get into grad school? Maybe. He hadn't promised you that. He has promised to give you a life that you can't, that will never be taken away from you, but it's life on his terms. And here's the thing, it's more satisfying. It's more abundant and it's more lasting. You might get into med school, you might get into grad school, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get the job you want. You can get married, you can long for children, you might not get children. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a life and it will never leave you because I will never leave you because you're united to me. And here's the deal. When it comes to like family and children and this beautiful full life, this thriving city, I don't know the kind of image you have in your head. It doesn't even compare to life in Jesus. It doesn't. So we don't fear the Lord. We don't walk in his ways to manipulate him to give us stuff. Christianity has no interest in a kind of moral scorekeeping in order to achieve your own vision of the good life. And thankfully, Jesus loves us too much to like let us have this good life that you and I want. I'm so glad he doesn't let me have the good life that I want. So cultivating a life of fearing the Lord, walking in his ways is the way that we're set up to live in the, with the grain of creation and how we're made, and that our souls might be satisfied in, in Jesus because this is the life he came to give us. And John, he says, I've came that you might have life. What kind of life? Abundant life. Life to the full. So that's blessing according to Christianity, according to the psalm. Let me, let me pray.